The Start On Demand. demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. It is minus eight, and it's windy, as Greg and I just learned. And if you go to 680CJOB's Instagram page, I have just hit send or post or publish or whatever you want to call it, posting a video (laughs) of Greg chucking a pumpkin from the second deck of the parkade next door into a garbage dumpster, skillfully thrown as well. I was... but that looks like a long way to, to throw a pumpkin. But you did it. Good for you, man. Uh, I feel accomplished <laughs> this morning. You gave me a task. I performed said task. I feel like I should just take the rest of the morning off, quite frankly. We were tasked with carving a pumpkin. Kildonan Place, every year they, they have their pumpkin carving challenge uh, for various media organizations representing uh, a charity, representing a community organization. And um, Loren, last year... We, uh, we went in with what we thought was a good idea, but we realized that we were uh, horrendously and hilariously outgunned and outmatched by... Oh, this is serious stuff. Yeah. People, people are good at this. They come with tools. Yeah. Like we, you guys got like a spoon and like a plastic knife you found in the kitchen, and they're coming with tools and ideas. So what's the... Uh, the, so the pumpkin smash is a new one. I like it. Yeah. Why not go off the seventh floor of the parkade? Though? That would really have done some damage. Well, we, we were initially just going to drop it. And then Greg says, why don't we just throw it into the garbage bin? Uh, so the pumpkin did not splatter because there was it sort of bounced around in the in the bin. But it cracked. It definitely cracked hard. And uh, we just called it the 2020. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, just, I like it. I think it just expresses how most of us feel about 2020, how we might be feeling about Halloween. It felt good. It felt good to hit that shot. I mean, that was a gigantic dumpster. The idea of missing it would have been incredibly embarrassing. Wouldn't so that the, have been more 2020, though? Yeah, That would have been more have 2020. Been. We didn't even get that right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, and, and it would have been more apropos. Most of my, uh, my, all three of my brothers would tell you that uh, counting on me to throw something exactly where it's supposed to go probably wasn't the best plan in the first place. I'm better <laughs> at catching things than I am at throwing them, but it worked out. And we only had one shot at it, right? One like, shot, one was, take, This was baby. a one take. This, this wasn't a video where we could redo it. It was one take. Plus, we were frozen. Oh, it's cold <laughs> out this morning. <laughs> Craig gets up to that second floor, and he, I can hear him. Where are you, Brad? It's windy. Let's get this over with. <laughs> so uh, so the, the whole thing is that Kildonan Place, uh, they're donating... $100 to each team just for participating that will go towards Silo Mission for us. And then uh, we're, once we get the picture and the video to Kildon in place, hopefully they can share the video on their page, but at the very least they're sharing photos. And for each like that goes in, uh, 10 cents nice. will be donated for every uh, vote on our pumpkin. So we'll get that to Kildon in place as soon as possible. Loren, have you seen the video? I am literally a shadowy figure in this it's kind of creepy. I'm worried for the people who saw this going on and have, you know, maybe not 911'd it, but the non-emergency line got a few phone calls about this one. <laughs> there was a security <laughs> guard hanging what around. That's Jeff. That's there. security guard Jeff. <laughs> yeah, he came outside and I he saw me standing there with this plastic tarp in my hand, the, 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 I guess the plastic tablecloth uh, that we were supposed to use to carve the pumpkin. And I just said to him, we're going to smash a pumpkin. It's for charity. <laughs> he said, okay, carry it's on. It's for charity. Gets you off every time. I've got a couple of things I can, I can say. Like uh, if I'm going out with uh, my buddy Chuck, it doesn't matter where I'm going. I, I just tell Jackie, I'm going with Chuck. I, have a good time. 
We could be going to San Antonio for three days. Doesn't matter. From him with him, I'm okay. San Antonio. I just picked it out of a hat. We could be going anywhere. Doesn't okay. matter. If I'm with Chuck, it's all good. Well, make sure you catch a Spurs game while you're down there. Oh yeah, you know it would all be around sports one of these days. Okay, so also today we're going to kind of follow up on the uh, the space announcement yesterday. We were excited about the moon announcement. We spoke to Scott Young from the Planetarium at 6.45. We want to talk about our favorite space movies. And the gist of the announcement, from what I recall, was uh, they they have seen water? You can see water on the moon? More water than they expected. I think they knew there was water on the moon, but then they went looking, and I don't know how they figured this stuff out. I listened to it yesterday, and like I said, <laughs> you listen to these science things, and I was like, oh, so much science happening in this announcement, I can't follow along, but wa- more water on the moon than they previously thought, and they could see it, that they used to, they knew there was ice there, but then they've now figured out that it's kind of scattered across the moon, which means if you want to go there to make it a staging ground for Mars, or, you know, potentially move there, someday there might be water that you could uh, drink and enjoy so it's uh kind of neat i bet you it's cold like nice and cold water i think it'd be, like be a, refreshing they should bottle that moon water moon you forget water. glacier water i got some moon water for you so it took almost 60 years for us to figure this out <laughs> that there's water on the moon and we want to go to mars are you kidding me are you not a little skeptical and, now? And, and, and more than that, here's the thing. They have conceived for decades that frozen water exists on the moon, but Monday's research provides the most definitive evidence yet. But we haven't gone there to get it yet. Or see oh, so if we, we only actually... believe that it's there. I think it's still that we believe that <laughs> so it's there. So we haven't there. even touched it. We haven't. Uh, yeah. So this is still a theory. Yeah. So the next people who are going to the moon in that South Lunar Pole by 2024, don't worry, there's water there. And then they get there, they're like, guys. Oh, it was a mirage. <laughs> it was a mirage. Keep your text messages coming on your favorite space Movie. After yesterday's announcement about the moon, we were thinking, hey, what are our favorite space movies? I think we all have a favorite space movie, and it doesn't have to be like your typical one. Like you might first think Star Wars or Star Trek, but surely there's a movie that you like when you're a kid or a teenager, or maybe even as an adult, maybe something you watched with your kids. And uh, because Greg even asked the question, does this count as a space movie? So we'll find out what his movie is in our next segment. And then we'll give away some Santa Lucia pizza that will surely be out of this world. <laughs> Extra cheese on that, McGarry? <laughs> uh, that was, I guess, a, a cheesy joke, if you will. Um, also today we have, ooh, what is this at 9.36, Greg? The official launch of... Uh, Popcorn and Broken Ribs. Yeah, the history of the Winnipeg Jets. Perhaps the best NHL team to never win a Stanley Cup. Jeff Kirbyson joined us, I believe it was the day after we learned that Dale Howarchuk had passed away. To talk about the Winnipeg Jets, we focused on Dale Howarchuk. The book launch is tomorrow night. It's a virtual event. I've been asked to moderate the conversation with Jeff Kirbyson and some former Jets and a former coach, Tom McVie, so I'm excited about that. We'll give you a little bit of a preview at 9.35. Right on. But for for now, we're going to start with this. We are coming up on what is likely going to be a defining moment of our lifetimes. And as individuals, as families, as Manitobans, there's going to be significant challenges in front of us 
as we head into the next several months. But we are not powerless and we are not alone. And this is not going to last forever. 100 new cases of COVID-19 were reported in our province yesterday, marking the seventh consecutive day that case counts have been in the triple digits. Yeah, and that has our top doctor warning that on this trajectory, trajectory on this path. Manitoba can expect to have more than 5,000 cases by the end of this week. And that, of course, is just one concerning number that we've been talking about over the past few days. We know hospitalizations are up, the death toll is rising. And still, Dr. Brent Rusin says they're hearing stories of Manitobans who are going out while sick, even having parties while sick. And so he's gone back to this question and listened to it. How would you answer this? Everyone can think about this as if, if public health contacted you, would you be able to tell them who all your contacts were in the last week or even over the weekend? Some definite frustration from Dr. Rusin. We'll hear some frustration being expressed by the Premier. It's a great question with regard to your contact tracing and exactly where you've been over the last week. If Manitoba Health gave you a COVID-19 positive test, would you be able to aid sufficiently in that contact tracing? And Dr. Rusin basically saying, if you can't do that, you're going out too much. The bottom line says, or pardon me, the bottom line is, Rusin says, we've lost our way and he has examples to prove it. Here's Global's Marnie Blunt with more. Manitoba's top doctor issuing a stern and direct message Monday. Reduce your close contacts now. We let the virus off the hook. We know exactly how this virus is spread. Um, We're in a pandemic. We have to expect to see cases. We can't avoid that. We're going to see cases. But what we shouldn't expect and we shouldn't accept are people who have 50 contacts or people going to work when they're ill. Health officials say they've been seeing numerous cases linked to large social gatherings, including Thanksgiving and funerals. In one case, someone contracted the virus while at a faith-based organization and then visited a personal care home, which resulted in an outbreak. In another case, an individual went to work with symptoms for an entire week before getting tested. Others even testing positive and then inviting people into their own home. A known positive case had a gathering at their home, exposing many people. Dr. Rusin says if our numbers keep spiraling in the wrong direction, we could see tougher enforcement. The Manitoba Premier also issuing a serious message. Get with the program and start respecting the sacrifices that you have to make. They're small compared to the price that others will pay for your stupidity. So grow up and stop going out there and giving people COVID. Some cases have dozens of close contacts, one recent one with as many as 63, making it nearly impossible for health officials to follow up on contact tracing. Dr. Rusin says if our numbers continue in the wrong direction, we could see even more restrictions on gathering sizes. Marnie Blunt, Global News. Brett, I don't know about you, but I think one of the things that people like about Dr. Rusin is that he's calm, cool and collected, but you could see that veneer crack just a little bit yesterday. That's right, and you heard uh, Premier Brian Pallister as well in that story. He spent several minutes yesterday airing his frustrations. You know, look, when you have symptoms, don't go to church. When you have symptoms, don't go out to the bar. When, when you're waiting for a test result back, for heaven's sakes, don't have a house party. The, these are not rocket science decisions that people need to make. This is common sense. And I am asking 
the people of Manitoba who in very, very small number are disrespecting one another through their behaviors to smarten up and start thinking about somebody other than their own short-term needs. Start thinking about having a house party and inviting a bunch of people over. It's a COVID party. You're asking to give a bunch of your friends COVID. Think how thoughtless a person would be to do something like that. It's frustrating to hear from Dr. Rusin about these examples because he and I and hundreds, thousands of Manitobans have been sharing the word about how important it is to stand up for each other and protect each other. And sure, these are sacrifices, but they're short-term sacrifices. They're hard to make, but they're necessary to make because the consequence of not doing them is what we're seeing today. When we were listening and we were doing the fundamentals, we were beating COVID. When we stop doing that, COVID starts to beat us. I'd rather beat COVID, and I think most Manitobans feel the same way. He was very frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one clip of what could have, I could have taken 10 different 90-second clips of the Premier expressing his frustration and talking about how the government can't save you from the virus. Uh, you know, we have to work together to do this. And uh, uh, I, I think it's you could see it. You mentioned Dr. Rusin, Greg, Brian Pallister. It's, it's almost like we're all reaching the point where we're just saying, look, like, wake up. What did he say? Grow up. Well, it's one thing to have that gray area where you, you know, you're out there, you know, people have questions about Halloween, for example, how am I going to safely do Halloween? And so there were some tips on that yesterday about sticking with your family and not having big bowls of candy and everybody touching it, you know, like being smart, not going in large groups, not having parties. But the fact that you have to say, don't be COVID positive and have people over, that's not a gray area. I don't know where you like, did you have to go online to know the answer to that? I don't think you did. I think, you know, when your people are coming over to your house and you've tested positive, you're doing the wrong thing. There's no gray there. No. And I guess some of the pushback to the premier's uh, comments yesterday, a lot of people saying, why did we, (laughs) you know, the message was very different 90 days ago with regards to restarting the economy. The message very different with regards to why did it take so long to mandate masks? And with regards to Halloween, I shared a text message with you guys this morning from a listener who says, why aren't we just canceling Halloween? I guess it's just going to have to be up to parents because we're pulling the plug. We've told the kids we're not doing it. And uh, you can be as mad as you want. I'll buy you all the candy you want from the store. Gorge yourself, get dressed up, I'll post a video on Instagram. But we're not going anywhere. And I think uh, a lot of parents are going to be making that decision. I think a lot of people would like the government to uh, lead them a little bit and just say, yep, you know what, let's just not do this. I'd be interested to know how everybody else feels about that. And listener Ken, just a reminder that uh, a couple of weeks ago, listener Ken sent us pictures of his 2020 series candy delivery system that he's already built right. outside of his home. It's a giant tube that he has at the top of his stairs, so he, he can stand at the top of the stairs, fire the candy down the tube, kids at the bottom, pick up the candy. Uh, presumably the, the candy will have been wiped previously, so great idea to Ken. If, you know, For those who want to hand out the candy, uh, Ken's found a creative way around it, and you can see see those pictures on our Instagram along with our morning pumpkin toss just check out the video you'll see what's going on back 
Cycling, McGarry and McNabb. What is your favorite space movie and why? Text us at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win a Santa Lucia pizza. And we're talking about space movies because yesterday we had a few conversations about space in anticipation of the moon announcement from NASA. And scientists say the moon's shadowed, frigid nooks and crannies may hold frozen water in more places and in larger quantities than previously suspected. And that's good news for astronauts at future lunar bases who could tap into these resources for drinking and for making rocket fuel. So we're going to go around the horn here. We've got Kelly Moore. We've got Jeff Braun, Jeff Forte, to find out what our favorite space movies are. So Jeff Braun, co-host of the Couch Potatoes, why don't we start with you, sir? For me, it's Apollo 13 from 1995, starring Tom Hanks, of course. And uh, it's just, I I love the, it's a true story about saving astronauts who are in severe distress in space to think how easily they could have been lost forever and all the hard work that so many people put into bringing them back to, back safely to Earth. It's just an inspiring story and it's beautifully, you know, filmed by director ron howard it's oh it's one of my favorite movies of all time period always in the top five and for sure my favorite space movie yeah you know what i just recently watched that uh i want to say in the last few months and it holds up it is uh, such such a good movie and of course it has failure is not an option wonderful performances all around including from ed harris great pick jeff seeing that that's the thing like when i thought about this category i didn't think at all about like actual like real space (laughs) movies i was thinking all fantasy stuff forte what about you i'm gonna have to pick my team thought i was dead nasa thought i was dead (laughs) but i'm alive surprise oh that's the martian starring matt damon where he uh, he gets left on mars and i'm telling you that would freak me out if you've ever been like you know lost you know go on hiking get lost you have that panic i could not imagine being on mars left alone i would never survive but it's such a good movie because there's so much problem solving that goes into it Uh, it's an absolutely great movie in my opinion what was it that he was stuck eating was it just potatoes potatoes Potatoes. and he was able to grow them and he had to figure out how to grow them fertilize them himself yes oh (laughs) (laughs) kelly moore well i think mcnab and i might be in agreement on this one remember the flying bike rides from et ah no that's uh my all-time i i don't know if it qualifies as a space movie but uh for me it, it sure does it's uh uh, it's one of those movies that I think you can watch over and over and over again and still uh, enjoy to the max. Why wouldn't yeah, it count as a space movie? It has a, a, a spaceman? <laughs> it has a spaceship? Yeah. yeah. Well, they, well that was... because the, the majority of the movie was on Earth. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad everybody's in agreement on that then. The only thing I don't agree with you on, and I had the same thought, Kelly, because I said, yes, it has an alien, and yes, it has a UFO, and yes, it shows the moon, but that's like it's not a lot of space time in it. The only thing I don't like about what you picked is the section of the music. Hit McNabb's clip. That's when you take off. You're just so in the air. They are flying. They're biking. Everybody (laughs) would play that one. Kelly tried to go off the beaten path. Uh, Mackley. Well, uh, Apollo 13, I knew Jeff would pick. 
and it's one of my favorite movies, period, let alone space movie. Space Jam would have been right there, but one of our listeners, Derek, said that, and I said, I can't be agreeing with Derek, because Derek <laughs> and I agree on, uh, on absolutely nothing on text message. So I asked if this would qualify. If E.T. qualifies, my pick qualifies. A UFO landed in my pool. They captured me. I fed them Pop-Tarts, but you've got to cut their hair. What did you say? They may be from outer space. So, they can still be dates. I think we could just make them look more sort of human. Hey, come on, everybody. We're doing a makeover. But underneath, they're more than human. Wow. They're incredible. Gina Davis, Julie Brown, and Jeff Goldblum. So much of it. I think Earth Girls are easy. Earth Girls are easy. <laughs> now, clearly, the title of this movie has not aged well since 1988. But when you talk about Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, it also includes Jim Carrey, Damon Wayans, uh, and uh, also I mentioned Julie Brown, but Michael McKeon plays a small part in that movie. It's a really fun movie uh, from 1988. Yeah, that's right. I and, and very colorful outfits too, if I remember correctly, oh, like Night colorful. at the Roxbury style, right? <laughs> yeah, that's very good. Stuff. Okay, uh, this was my pick. It started with a game. You gonna bust the record? But it wasn't just any game. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Sur and the Kodan Armada. From 1984, The Last Starfighter, about a teenager who lives in a trailer park and he's really good at a video game. So good, in fact, that he actually gets, it was a recruiting tool. And an alien comes and picks him up and takes him deep into the galaxy so he could be the last starfighter and take on Zur and the Kodan Armada. I loved this movie as a kid, and it's a movie that I could still watch with my dad, Smash Gordon, and have a great time. This, and it also, just as a fun fact, it's the first movie to ever use full-blown CGI. So when I was a kid, it blew my mind. If you watch it now, it looks dreadful. But it doesn't matter. It's a great story. It's a fun movie and uh, very sentimental. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb getting lots of great feedback as always at 204-780-6868 on a variety of things we are discussing, including Halloween. And Greg, uh, you spotted uh, this first one here about a half hour ago. Yeah, one of our listeners said uh, no funerals, no weddings, but Halloween is okay. Now that's scary. Yeah, we talked about that gray area, right? And you said that, you know, this might be a place to have some more leadership from government or officials on this one because it does leave a lot open for interpretation, much like Thanksgiving did, right? You can have, keep your gathering small, keep it from your household plus 10, I think it was at the time. And then some people had multiple Thanksgiving gatherings and here we are. And so there are people asking questions about Halloween this morning. Many people saying they aren't going to take their kids out. Kristen texts to say, I think those who want to go out should be allowed to go. It's the second happiest time of year for kids. They've had so much taken away from them with proper masks worn by kids and those handing out candy. Outside is far less risky than, say, the mall. And she's going to work with neighbors to try to hang a Halloween bag or someplace where people can help themselves, maybe with tongs or other. 
And she wants it to go ahead. So I don't know, Greg. It is that uh, gray area for sure. I think what we've learned over the last several weeks that any gray area is prone to disaster. People will take the gray and they will stretch it as wide as they can. Uh, uh, You know, Joey talks about the dot in one of his arguments with Chandler. The dot is a line to you, my friend. You're so far away from the line. And I think we are very good at justifying a lot of things in our own minds and often that means tilting what we think the rules say to suit our own needs and wants. And as far as space movies go, Rita with a great text message at 204-780-6868. My favorite space movie was Star Wars from 1977. I was five years old and my uncles, who were teens, took me to Odeon Theater to see it. I loved everything about it. When I need to go to the bathroom, my uncle said, you can go by yourself to the bathroom and use the force. (laughs) I'll never forget that moment for the rest of my life. I miss them dearly. One died from enlarged heart already by 55. Miss you, Uncle Robert. And thank you, CJOB. And thank you, Rita, for sharing that. And that's, we're asking you not just what is your favorite space movie, but why is it your favorite space movie? And that's a great example, uh, Rita. So thank you for that. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. We have a Tickets and Treats pass for two landmark cinemas. We'll do that at 8.45. We also have that Santa Lucia pizza up for grabs at 9.15. Based on your text messages, what is your favorite space movie? And then, Loren, what are we doing after Global News at 8 o'clock? Well, we've been talking about all the changes to our school system of late, things we've seen in personal care homes. And, of course, sports, there's still a go after school sports like hockey or indoor soccer or all the rest. But there's been a lot of changes. So after 8, we're going to visit with a a hockey parent about what the new rules are at the rink. And they actually leave a lot of parents out to keep up with the capacity requirements. People are making the choice right now of, do you get to go to the game or do I? And and how do we manage all that? So we'll find out more about how it's working for him and how it's working at some Winnipeg rinks after. And the question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. How would you best describe your plans for Halloween? One of the things we've been talking about this morning. And so far at cjob.com, this is a question that went up yesterday afternoon, 75% say we're doing nothing. No trick-or-treating, no handing out candy. 22% say we're going to celebrate as usual, but follow all the guidelines. And 3% say going to reinvent run a scavenger hunt watch scary movies or just dress up at home so cast your vote at cjob.com we'll get a new question up for you at some point this morning but hey it's tuesday just after 7 30 which means what jeff fortier it means breakfast with the bombers and it is brought to you by the cooperators find an advisor at cooperators.ca a better place for you and i see greg that i was supposed to load a piece of audio <laughs> can you into, find it into this script but uh you can I find it i don't know where it is you I, don't know where it is i had it and you said oh i think i've got it right here hang on standby back to pass <laughs> polaris was gonna That's run it. now he's scrambling to his left to his right back to his right and he'll throw it deep into the end zone darvin no adams way. touchdown blue bombers what a play by polaris i thought Claris was just throwing this out of bounds You can't scramble that much and then locate somebody for the touchdown. That was incredible. Wow. 
Apparently you can, Doug Brown, and Zach Caleros did exactly that. And I retweeted a video along with that call uh, earlier, or I guess late last week, uh, Bob Irving joining us now, and Christian O'Mell replayed uh, that game on the CGOB Sports Show last night. And Bob, I retweeted that, and I said... For many, that was the moment, that was the play that we looked at one another or thought to ourselves, hmm, something special just might be possible. Yeah, I agree with that, Greg. There was a a real curiosity, I think, surrounding that game. That was the final game of the regular season last year, and the Bombers had really hit a tailspin. They'd lost four of their last five. The week prior to that, Chris Trebler had broken his ankle in Calgary, a game that the Bombers fought valiantly and lost 37-33. And I think a lot of the fans had uh, scurried off the bandwagon, if I can use that term. But with Strebler's injury, this brought Calaris into the picture, and he was going to start this final regular season game against Calgary. So we were all curious to see uh, how he would perform. And then he played very well for a guy who'd only been with uh, the team for a few days, hadn't played since game one of the season with Saskatchewan and went out of that game early with an injury. And he came in and he, he played like a real leader. And that, I think, sparked this hope once again that this Bomber team, which everybody knew was pretty good, but had really fallen on hard times, lost Matt Nichols, then lost Chris Trevler. And, uh, you know, the optimism had waned for sure, but now Calaris brought all that back, and that play in particular, the scramble and then the throw to Darvin Adams, uh, really lit a fire, I think, not just among the fans and the followers of the team, Greg, but among the players on the team. They now all of a sudden felt, hey, you know, we've lost our, our top two quarterbacks, but this guy, this guy maybe is the answer. He can lead us to the promised land, and he did. Yeah, a turning point, if you will, really. And I and I want to ask you about that in a second, Bob. But before we do, just listening to you call that play and hearing Doug Brown say, no way, I think a couple times there. I'm curious, are you an out-of-your-seat kind of guy at moments during the game? Like, do you have trouble just sitting there when it comes to composure? Or are you able to do it pretty well after all these years? Well, no, I'm able to sit there. Um, it's harder for me to get up now in my declining years than it was <laughs> earlier. On, so Bob. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've jumped up a few times during games. I did in that game. I think it was, uh, I can't remember the exact circumstances. It was a cooler day. And so, and I think that play in particular, we thought it was a dead play. You know, Calaris is scrambling around. He's about 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. There appears to be no hope. He's near the sideline. And it looks like, as Doug said, it looked like he's just throwing the ball away. And then Darvin Adams makes this sensational catch and. uh yeah, I, during the broadcast, Doug and I will sort of alternate between sitting and standing. And so it's kind of an up-and-down thing we do during the course of the game. But I get pretty excited. I think you can tell from uh, my voice I get pretty fired up when certain things occur. And uh, that hasn't changed in all the years I've done the games. I still feel the same way when there's an exciting play like that. And, of course, the fans bring you, uh, you know, your level of excitement up, too, because they start going crazy and there's the noise factor. And that's the one thing that's missing so much today in the sports we're watching during these COVID times when there are no fans. That fan experience, and I know the players on, in all sports have talked about it, that is gone. But I remember the fans that game last year, they went nuts on that play. And, again, it was a, a symbol to them that, hey, the season isn't over, folks. Yeah, the Bombers have been on a bit of a downer, and they're not going to have a home playoff game and all the rest of it. But Zach Kolaris has ridden to the rescue, and uh, there is still hope for the Bombers, and there certainly was. 
How did it feel to see the uh, the reinvigorated love of the team that began in this community with that particular play and that game and that stretch run, which the, you know that love then exploded, of course, through the playoffs and the Grey Cup victory? Yeah, I've said a number of times, Brett, that the four games at the end of last season uh, are a moment in time with this team that I will never forget. I think you know this team is is woven deep into the fiber of this community and has been since its existence. And, of course, fans are up and down. They they have a love affair, and then they get angry when things aren't going well. They feel, they feel the team is letting them down and all the rest of it. But th- that stretch where they won that final regular season game against Calgary, went to Calgary and won the semifinal, went to Regina and won the final in most dramatic fashion, and then handled Hamilton in the Grey Cup game, that was a magical time. It really was. And then they came home, and there was that huge crowd at the airport and the parade where the city was flooded. I was watching some uh, pictures last night of the gathering at the parade, and, and it reminded me of the outpouring of love and excitement about the bombers in the city that uh, was really a special time, certainly for me. And I've seen lots of great success over the years in covering this team. But those four games in particular – uh, that captured a period of time for me with the Bombers that will always be really, really special for me. Well, uh, I'm going to remind listeners, and Bob, you probably already know this, but the Blue Bombers have not lost a game since Saturday, October 19th, 2019. <laughs> yeah. And if my math is correct, that's uh, uh, 364, about 374 days, because I think this was, in fact, a leap year 2020. So it's been a while since the Bombers have lost a game. And next week, we're going to visit with Nick Taylor, who I think a lot of people feel was a very key addition to that Blue Bomber defense for the stretch run and then our breakfast with the bombers happened to coincide perfectly with that western conference semi-final the western final and the great cup so for the next four tuesdays we will be highlighting the anniversaries of some very special days in these parts yeah those were special days and i know when they went to calgary to play the semi-final game there was not a lot of optimism because whenever the Bombers went to Calgary, it seems in the last decade and a bit, uh, they just they lost. And when they won that game in such impressive fashion, again, it, it elevated the, the hope level, if I can use that term, and it just kind of gradually went up and up. And then they go to Calgary for the Grey Cup, and they're big underdogs against a 15-3 and Hamilton team, and they rise up and smite them. And it was just, uh, you know... <laughs> It's fun to relive that. It really is. And I know for Bomber fans who've lost a season here, we've lost a season that everybody anticipated with so much excitement. Uh, Just remembering that is it's a good thing to do. Can I just add smite is an excellent word, Bob, that you just used there? Yeah, smite, smitten. Yes, smite. We're smitten by the Bombers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bob Irving is the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers joining us live on 680 CJOB for breakfast with the Bombers. Bob, thank you so much for this. Okay, my pleasure. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Start. If you go to our 680 CJOB Instagram, by the way, you can see our pumpkin toss. We tossed a pumpkin out of the parkade. We'll just leave it there. You can see the video on our Instagram feed. We've also put it out. I tweeted it at Brett McGarry. I think uh, Greg may have retweeted it. I definitely treat, we tre- mm-hmm. retweeted it from the 680 CJOB account as well. So a couple of places from where you can have a look at that. We know that no matter where you go these days, things are different. That includes the local arena 
when you take your kids for hockey or other sports. So the city of Winnipeg has a list of long rules and regulations and guidelines for participants, coaches, and parents entering city-owned arenas. And I know this is the case outside the city as well in the metropolitan area. There's lots of rinks that have adjusted and done things to help keep one another safe. So, for example, the arena capacity and spectator seating are limited to ensure proper physical distancing. I know in some rinks, they actually have little circles for you to stand on, and you're supposed to stick to that so you can stay within the occupancy levels, which can be less than 50%. Masks, of course, have to be worn at all times unless you're participating in a physical activity. You have to keep two meters apart. You can't arrive at any of these rinks more than 15 minutes before your ice reservation, and then once that game's done, you're pretty much keeping half your equipment on or quickly changing to leave Greg. And that's just an example of some of the things that are going on at many of these rinks. Yeah, it's an absolutely full page of rules and regulations. They call them arena safety measures and team representative responsibilities. These all seem fairly reasonable in the face of a pandemic. Matt Brown is a hockey dad. His son is playing hockey this year for the very first time. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for taking some time with us. Hey, good morning, Greg. Is it exciting to see a little guy hit the ice, even if it's under these unusual circumstances? Yeah, it's still really exciting. I mean, this is his first year being on the ice, first attempt at skating, and so it's uh, it's been a it's been a treat watching him. Either even though we're you know we're married mass and we're six feet apart and doing all these different things, it's still been a lot of fun. It's uh, these rites of passages that we so look forward to. And, of course, we know this year is different. So you mentioned, Matt, it's his first time on ice. But with some of the rules, his first time skating, both mom and dad can't be there at all time because I know some of the rinks, and I think basically the advice from Dr. Rusin has been to limit it to one parent. So what kind of decisions are you making in your home when it comes to who takes him when? Yeah, that's been a tough one for sure, especially in the very, very first couple of uh, rust buster sessions when he was learning how to skate for the very first time. Um, it's been me, it's been dad, I guess, who's been up uh, up early and taking them to the rink and getting them suited up and motivated to get out there. Uh, so mom's missed out on those first few steps, but I've been, you know, there with the phone, filming, sharing the videos, and and she's seen it from that side, but it's, yeah, that part's not so great. You know, you wish you could be there together to see that moment when he, when he ditches the chair and, and starts taking his first few strides by himself. Um, so, that, that yeah, that part's been tough, but uh, we've shared it a little bit. Um, my wife's gone to a few practices. I've done the majority of it, but when I was out of town for work, she was able to, to step in and take him. You've been around sports your entire life. Uh, what other rules are in place that are way different than usual? Well, I think the the biggest one for sure is is not being able to you know get to the rink a little bit earlier, you know sit in the dressing room and and share kind of those moments and build that camaraderie with your team. So we've been getting ready in the in the kitchen, um, getting to the rink you know ten minutes early, you know kind of rushing in, getting your skates and your helmet on, and then shuffling the kids onto the ice, and so they don't you know you don't you don't get those moments in the dressing room, joking around and having fun. So that's that for me has probably been the biggest change. Yeah, that's a that's a big part of the game. I think sometimes a part of the game that we forget. Uh, for the most part, Matt, in your experience, are people following the rules? Yeah, I think everybody's been really respectful. Everyone's wearing their masks and and uh, keeping keeping apart, keeping their distance, uh, showing up just you know ten minutes early. 
So the rinks have been great too. You know, they're providing all the hand sanitizer. The facilities are super clean. Uh, they've got the decals on the floor on where to stand and where to sit in the bleachers. Decals in the dressing rooms on, you know, where to sit to keep everybody spread out. So I think it's been a pretty good team effort. It, it looks like everybody's following the rules. Yeah, I think for the most part, there's that sense. And, and it gets back to this whole responsibility thing, Matt, about, you know, we want things to go well so that we don't lose something else. And so I think about school and the, and the concern that, you know, more schools might go to remote learning. And then I know parents are talking about sports. And over the weekend, some of the big conversations were, let's hope that we can keep this going if we have to get things under control so the kids can have some of that normalcy. And that includes fall sports, whether it be hockey or not. You feel that responsibility to help out because I don't want the kids to lose one more thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is this is a big thing to, to get your kid into hockey for the first season, and you want them to enjoy it. You want them to feel, you know, as, as normal as it is or could be. You want them. You want them to have that same experience you had growing up. And so, I think everybody's kind of doing their part, and, and it's working. Uh, the coaches and all the volunteers have been great. Uh, once the kids are out on the ice, you know, it looks like they're having a blast and having tons of fun. So, and, and that's what it's all about. It's a little weird in the dressing room. It's a little weird in the in the bleachers where, you know, you don't get to sit very close to any parents and have uh, a lot of engagement that way. But um, I guess it's all about the kids at the end of the day, and, and it looks like they're still having a great time out there. Matt Brown, hockey dad for the very first time. Appreciate you sharing your experience with us this morning, Matt. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, 14 different care homes in Winnipeg are now dealing with coronavirus outbreaks. And we know that Parkview Place has been hit the hardest. 18 residents there have died, and almost every floor has had or has seen a positive COVID-19 case. And so our next guest we want to bring on, because her dad lives on the ninth floor. Daniel Mallett's father is 63, and he was hit with a stroke several years ago, and that left him paralyzed. And now he, too, has COVID-19. And Danielle has agreed to join us now to talk about this further. Good morning, Danielle. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking the time. Your story is exactly what we've been talking about over the past few weeks, about the, the very real Manitobans who find themselves in the crosshairs of COVID-19. And, and I want to start with your relationship with him and how often you used to visit your dad and, and how often you've been able to see him over the past eight, eight months. Yeah, absolutely. So my dad and I um, used to hang out quite a bit, actually, at least weekly. Um, it was best to go somewhere where we could um, walk around, hang out, um, get food, just visit somewhere with big open hallways like a mall or something. Um, but we have not been able to do that in quite some time. Um, I last saw him at one of his appointments. He actually had cataract surgery late August, and there was a follow-up in the beginning of September that I was able to accompany him to, otherwise just kind of waving to him if we would drop off anything at the building, if we happen to time it right. Danielle, this is tough. I mean, your dad's a young man by uh, just about mm-hmm. any measure here, stroke, and then to have him in a personal care home, and then now to have this added burden of uh, restricted visitation, and now he has COVID-19. How is he doing? Yeah, I mean, he is such a fighter. He is so strong. Um, we joke that he has nine lives, um, and I I believe he'll come out of this um, even stronger than before. But, I mean, it's hard. It's really isolating. He spends all day in his room, and, I mean, of course, that's for everyone's safety, but still, it takes a toll on someone for sure. 
How often are you able to communicate with him? We talk all the time. Um, we probably call each other five times a day. Um, he speaks with my mom all the time as well. And, yeah, basically whenever we can give each other a call, we do. So what's going through your head when you hear all this? Because I know how, just personally, I feel without having that connection in a personal care home, every time those numbers come out at 1230 every day, I stop and take a pause mm-hmm. and take a look at them and, and see where the cases are and see uh, what the hospitalization rates are. But but you're living this. So what's that doing for you in, in your own mind and in, in your own psyche when you have to every day think about the very real impacts of COVID-19 on your dad? Yeah, it's, it's really tough, um, especially just seeing how, Obviously, life just continues, even though something this um, this serious is, is happening. Um, it's it's definitely every day we take it day by day. Um, in the beginning, the outbreak was kind of staggered, so we we heard about a first positive test with with a staff member, and then the first resident to test positive, and they weren't even close to my dad's floor, so that was almost a relief, and then just slowly more cases popped up. So, I mean, we look at the results that come up at 1 p.m. every day as well about how many cases are positive and and more information on Parkview. But we're talking with him first thing every day just to check in on how he's doing. I think those um, proximity issues, uh, whether it's crime or now you mentioned, uh, you know, was on a different floor. There wasn't a, a case uh, in close proximity to your dad. We we rationalized these things for ourselves to keep us calm. At what point did you start to get concerned, Danielle? Um, I I was concerned honestly from the first um, the first case that that was announced. That was terrifying. As, as soon as we heard it, um, we prepared ourselves for the worst, but we really, really hoped for the best, of course. Um, and yeah, I mean, knowing that my dad's in there and that's something that he's, he's, um, battling is, is pretty tough. What would your message for Manitobans be? I would say if you don't need to leave your house, don't, if you do wear a mask, be responsible. Remember that when you choose to act responsibly in this time, it's for a lot more people than yourself. And I mean, I know chatting with, with friends that aren't necessarily in the same situation as I am right now, they have a lot more empathy for, for what I'm going through and therefore they've changed their actions, which, which is huge. Well, I think that there's been an issue all along, Danielle, and, and I don't know what you've been hearing in your circles, that this is a, per, this is a yes, when we hear personal care home, we make these assumptions that it's somebody in their 90s or some, uh, you know, mm-hmm. an elderly person. And so therefore we say, oh, that's too bad. But there's, there's this whole idea that it's an old person's or an older person's issue and it's affecting mm-hmm. so many other people. And so when you hear even just your dad's age, 63, and dealing with this, mm-hmm. like people are in personal care homes for all sorts of reasons. It, it goes well beyond a person's age. Absolutely. There's people in there of um, all varying ages. So, yeah, my dad's 63. There's people younger than him. There's people older than him. There's people with all different um, like varieties of health concerns. And it's very important to remember that it isn't just the elderly. And there's also this um, idea around these unavoidable circumstances or, oh, yeah, well, someone's passed away and they're very old, so... It's it's just it's not just people that are old. It's it's a lot of other people that are being affected right now. 
Danielle, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. We try to ask all the right questions. Was there anything we didn't get to, a message perhaps that you want to get out there before we let you go? I guess just if, if anyone from Parkview happens to be listening to this, we appreciate how hard you work for our families. Um, it means a lot to us that you show up every single day, even knowing that you're walking into a place that is infested with COVID. You show up and you support our families and it means everything to us. Daniel Mallet, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, Daniel Mallet's father, uh, 63-year-old, he too now has COVID-19 at Parkview Place. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have a Tickets and Treats Pass for two for Landmark Cinemas. And we're going to ask you a trivia question here. And I feel like this could take a little while, but it's apropos for today, and we'll explain. That'll make sense in a moment. But here is your question. The record for this is over 5,000 feet. What is it? So, Harold, you're first out of the gate. Uh, I don't know if I envy you, but have a guess. Uh, Waterfall, Angel Falls. No. Uh, that could be true. That might be correct, but that's not the correct, correct answer to this question. So Okay. Okay. <laughs> it is correct. I, I know this. Harold, <laughs> thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, Elsie, the record for this is over 5,000 feet. What is it? Pole climbing. No. No, that's not it. Angel Falls. That sounds like a nice place. Where is that? I want to say it's in South America. Is it in Venezuela, Angel Falls? Venezuela. Is that right? Uh, I don't know. Let's see. Angel Falls in Venezuela. Yes. Oh, not bad. Look My at geography's that. still pretty good for an old guy. Uh, Frida. Did I say your name correctly? Is it Frida? Yes, it is. Hi, Frida. The record for this is over 5,000 feet. What is it? Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> oh, I can't. I don't know. Um, pole vaulting? I don't know. No, I'm sorry. Uh, so it's time for a hint. So the first hint is it kind of ties into something Greg and I did today, if you were paying attention. Roxanne. Oh. Uh, the, oh, you know what, I... I have absolutely no clue, and I didn't hear what you were doing this morning. I wasn't up yet. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, anyway. no problem. Uh, maybe well, if you go to our social media, you'll see what yes, we're up to. That's right. If you go to 680CJOB Instagram or Twitter, the record for this is over 5,000 feet. What is it? Kevin? I think it's, some, uh, I think it's something uh, who launched a pumpkin. How far somebody threw a pumpkin? Hmm... Pumpkin cannon. Y- yes. yes. There you go. The longest a pumpkin has been launched from a cannon, specifically a cannon. <laughs> and it's 1,500 meters? 5,000 feet. 5,000 feet. Yeah, it's almost a, a mile. Which almost actually, that, mile. I, that might be, I wonder what that is in meters. You might be right bang on. I'm looking up right now. That's uh, about 20. 1,524. I was off by 24. Oh, wow. Good meters. job, Loren. Look well at done, that. Cab. I would have had no clue. But yes, Kevin. And uh, how did you know? Did you know that? Did you guess that? Or did uh, Google assist you on that? I <laughs> know uh, that was just your hint. 
Okay, look at that. Oh, Kevin's done clever. it before, Kevin's right? It's clever as heck. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever launched a pumpkin, Kevin? Uh, no, I haven't. I have thrown one off a bridge or whatever. Not a bridge, but like off a, a parkade, though. Okay, yeah, oh. that's what. Were you with Greg this morning? <laughs> no, 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 just in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> what about a potato gun, a potato cannon? You ever fired one of those? No, no, that I haven't. No. Those are fun. My dad, my dad used to make them, though, so. Really? Oh, yeah. That's, wow, some ingenuity in Kevin's family. Well, hey, congratulations, Kevin. What's that? When you're bored on the farm, you got to do something. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hold, I'm just going to get you to hold the line, Kevin. Congratulations. Uh, was there ever a potato cannon lurking around McNabb uh, farm territory? No. I, I was actually, just, as soon as he said that, I got all excited. And then, I'm, then I thought, no, we never had, we never grew potatoes either. So there was no um, potato gun like that. No pumpkin catapult. We did used to, you know, there was a taser type thing for the cattle. And that used to get a prod, if you will. You might get prodded once in a while for a joke, which wasn't very funny. Holy but, mackerel. Whoa, 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 back up. What? Yeah, like it's like a little like a little shock thing. I, I wonder if they even use them anymore because this is going back 40 years and there might have been some changes since. But it had like a little electrical pulse on the end just to keep the animals moving. Uh-huh. And this was somehow sometimes part you would do of it the to each other inside the house? <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I should probably not say anymore. We used to do all sorts of things you weren't supposed to do. There was also salt blocks for the cattle that came in different colors because they had different nutrients in them for the um, steers in the pasture. And so as kids, you'd be curious if the different colors had a dis- different taste. <laughs> so you try. Wow. <laughs> so it's a 9-volt cattle prod or a stun gun. Uh, so Gee whiz. I'm just trying to think. That, you know those electric fly swatters? Yeah. They, like those cheap ones. Like you the can little get badminton that. racket? Yeah. I think they go like a couple of uh, AA batteries. Yeah, I'm just trying to look at th- those. Like uh, I've zapped my friends with those, but I would How imagine. How much of a charge do you get out of that? I'm trying to find that. I got bug zapper racket here. I'm on Canadian Tire. Uh, it says the wattage is three watts. Three so, watts versus uh, how much oh, for the cattle prod? Nine. nine. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. A little more uh, destructive. That wow. Is, uh, do your parents know about this, Loren? I'm feeling now was more of a threat rather than it maybe happened, but I'm pretty uh-huh. sure it happened. Much the same as the whole grab the fence contest. <laughs> Continue. We are well, listening. It's an electric, it's an electric fence. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't know if we ever did that one either, but you'd be so scared to. And then, of course, you'd have all those myths. Like, if you have to go to the washroom and you go to the washroom too close to the fence, yeah, so you put yourself in the situation. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that Ren and Stimpy had the song? Don't <laughs> pee on the electric fence. Really? I think so. Oh, my goodness. I don't remember the feeling. Oh. Sorry, and Jeanette has texted in to say, Loren, I love the blue salt block <laughs> best. <laughs> Thank you, Jeanette. See, I'm not so crazy. Oh, this is opening so many avenues of discovery this morning. Uh, Mark says it's 1,500 volts for the bug zapper. So I think the, I'm going to have to double check out there. I imagine the cattle prod is a bit more of a jolt. But uh, thank you very much. And Terry also likes the blue salt block. I feel like. You know what? If anyone's listening in the industry and you can, uh, at this <laughs> once somehow. COVID is over, bring these by for a taste test. I want Brett and Greg to lick the cattle salt blocks. <laughs> <laughs>
It's the Winnipeg Jets as the radio voice of your Winnipeg Jets. Still, it feels good to say that. I, as I read that, I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Jets have come home to 680 CJOB. It gives us an excuse to discuss North American ice hockey on a more regular basis. Yeah, and it's thrilled to always talk about it. And there's also some important points we want to hit on today because we've also been sharing with our listeners about the loss of Joey Moss, who was a fixture on the Edmonton sports scene. And even as a Winnipeg Jets fan, we knew Joey by name in our house because Moss worked with both the Oilers and Edmonton Football Club for four decades, and, and he lost his life last night. And so our thoughts, of course, are with all the fans and family who knew and loved Joey, Joey but also... Just about the idea of how connected that shows just how connected these two communities were. Because, of course, Oilers and Jets were fierce rivals in the WHA and then into the NHL. And the Oilers won multiple Stanley Cups as a result. Five, to be exact, Greg. The 1.0 NHL version of the Winnipeg Jets won exactly two playoff series before moving to Phoenix. Thanks for the reminder, Loren. Uh, for many <laughs> Jets fans, 1990 was the year of the series which got away as the Jets were up 3-1 on the eventual Stanley Cup champion Oilers. Was that their best team? Well, here's a quote from none other than former Edmonton Oilers coach and general manager Glenn Sather. He says that if the Jets had played in the other conference, the Oilers probably would have faced off against Dale Howard, Chuck, Dave Babich, and their teammates a number of times in the Stanley Cup final. Jeff Kirbyson is the author of Broken Ribs and Popcorn, How the Winnipeg Jets Became the Best Team in the NHL's Most Offensive Era to Not Win the Stanley Cup, and that hurts a little bit. Jeff joins us now. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. We've got to light the mood here. It's all such a depressing start to this conversation. Well, I think you're going to be able to, <laughs> to brighten it up just a tiny bit. That quote from Sather, quite telling. In fact, in your first book, The Hotline, how the legendary trio of Hull, Hedberg, and Nielsen transformed hockey and led the Winnipeg Jets to greatness uh, from 2016, we got some insight into the tremendous respect Glenn Sather had for the Jets even before John Ferguson built the NHL version of the Jets. Well, sure. As a when he was a player for the Oilers, he was on the bench most of the time when the, when they would play the Jets and Holland would be on the ice, and so he saw how these guys were were free flowing and switching lanes all the time and and kind of going where not playing like a like the old bubble hockey game when we were kids. And he wanted to bring that that uh, style to Edmonton, and that was the first thing he told Wayne Gretzky when Gretzky arrived there in 1978. And they set about over the next few years to draft and trade for players who could play that system and obviously they uh, they did a little too well for us in Winnipeg. What Jets team was better? The 1990 team? Or as Dave Ellett told us a couple of years ago, the 84-85 Jets? Well, that's uh, an interesting conversation, I think. I think that the reason the 1990 team gets put in, in that conversation is because the Jets were up 3-1 against that team and and, and at that point, there'd only been, I think, six comebacks from 3-1 in a seven-game series, and everyone thought it's over. So I think that's partly why uh, everyone thinks that was such a, uh, a good team. But all, you have to remember, too, that team didn't have Gretzky. Uh, Grant Fuhrer was it was injured for that series, and Paul Coffey had been traded to Pittsburgh. So I think the if you had talked to other people, like uh, Kirk Kielbach agrees with... Um, you remember Kirk Kielbach? We do. He agrees with, uh, he agrees with, uh, with Elliot. And so the 485 team uh, was the best Jets team ever. The, unfortunately, they came up against what was the I think the 845 Oilers team was voted the best team ever in hockey history. 
so just bad timing on our part. But that team had 630 goal scorers. It had defensemen uh, like Dave Babich. It had Brian Hayward net. And as but as good as they as good as those Jets teams were, they didn't have Grand Fear in the third period of a lot of games, and that was the uh, that was the difference. Because and it, 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 the Jets had a, a lengthy 16 game win, uh, losing streak against the Oilers in the, across multiple playoff years, but it wasn't like those games were seven one. A lot of those games were three two, and the Oilers weren't as free flowing or they weren't as offensive minded in the playoffs as people might remember, uh, they claim, Howard Chuck told me that they clamped down quite a bit. And so those games came down to, a lot of times it came down to goaltending. And as good as, as good as Brian Hayward might've been, he wasn't Grant Fuhr. I have a feeling, is this a kind of conversation that can turn into an all night argument almost? I mean, when you bring up which team is better, you have all these different caveats and asterisks you have to put under different titles. And so does this ever turn into a full fight whenever this is brought up? Well, more of a, not a fight necessarily, but maybe a, <laughs> a, a crying session. For a yes. <laughs> That's better. That's what I wondered. Yeah. Like, there's just so many different ways to go because depending on what you say, who was in and who was out, and what goal he was or wasn't there, and you mentioned the Gretzky factor. There's Well, sure. There's... But the other thing about the, the, um, the 80-45 team is that team went into the playoffs, I think, on a 13-game 13, 13 winning streak, mm-hmm. and that, which is unheard of in Winnipeg. Uh, and then they won the first two games against Calgary. And so they were on a 15-game winning streak. So they were the hottest team in the league at the time. And then uh, in Game 3 in Calgary, that's when when Dale Howarchuk came ste- came steaming into the Calgary zone and Jamie McCowan hasn't, wasn't able to get off for a change. And he was caught flat-footed. So he was either, his options were try and skate backwards and get burned or try and give uh, Howarchuk a, cr- a cross-check, which had happened. There had been, I don't know how many hundred cross-checks in that game thus far, none of which had been led to an injury, none of which been even a penalty. And he leaned out, cross-checked Howard Chuck. He tried to jump around McCowan, lifted his arm up, and then a split second later, three cracked ribs, and he's uh, he's on the ice. And, and as good as that team was, uh, if you had taken if you had taken Gretzky out of the Oilers lineup, would they have been the same team? I don't think so. And so you take Howard Chuck out of that lineup, no matter how deep they were, no matter how much uh, Thomas Steen and and Lori Bosch and Paul McLean and those guys could do, uh, they couldn't make up for the loss of, of, of power check. Yeah. And to imagine that that 84, 85 Oilers team was in fact voted the, the best ever uh, in terms of NHL history and the hundredth anniversary of the league. And that some people put the conversation on the table that had Dale Howarchuk remained healthy, had not gotten injured, that the jets would have had a chance in that playoff series against the Oilers, I can remember sneaking into the old barn, Jeff, when Howard Chuck was trying to wear a flak jacket and you could see mm-hmm. him wincing and trying to get back on the ice. He wanted to do everything he could because he knew that there was an opportunity there for as good as the Oilers were, six 30-goal scorers, Brian Hayward playing the way he was, and you mentioned, of course, uh, having won 15 of 16 games down the stretch. Uh, th- they were a formidable force. They were, well, you could, uh, by the transitive property, say they were one of the best hockey teams ever assembled in the National Hockey League. Sure, and as much as Howard Chuck was trying to come back, ribs are something that, that if you talk to any hockey player, ribs are one of the worst injuries because you just can't you can't breathe. And as much as he was trying to come back and trying to flak jacket, it wasn't like there was any secret when he left the ice what was injured. 
And as, as, as nice as some of those Oilers players are, as nice as Wayne Gretzky can be to talk to, you know, some of those guys, when they got a, a chance uh, to give Howard Chuck a whack, they, you, you know where they'd be aiming. And that would have been, he might have been able to come back, and, but he, it would have been, he would have been ineffective. And he probably would have been taken out of the series. And, and uh, so that's one of, I know when I talked to Dale a couple of years ago, that was one of his big regrets, that that, that, was, that was their chance. And that they, uh, that just by dumb luck with him jumping around McCowan, that they didn't get a chance to, to really um, realize the, the full potential of that 84-85 team. Well, it gives us lots to talk about, and uh, we're going to do something a little bit special tomorrow night. I want to thank you on the air for inviting me to be a part of it. What are we doing, Jeff? Well, because of this whole COVID-19 thing, there are no in-store book launch events uh, for for the foreseeable future. So we are having a virtual launch of Broken Ribs and Popcorn, uh, courtesy of McNally Robinson. And you are going to be moderating uh, what I think will be a very interesting and uh, funny conversation. I say funny because uh, the guests are the, the the one of the guests is Tom McVie, who you've I know you've talked to, who might be the funniest guy in hockey, mm-hmm. and he was the um, the Jets' first coach in the NHL. Uh, unfortunately, he was not there for one of the more fun times. He was there for the 30 game winless streak in eighty eighty one, and the other two guys joining us are going to be Jim Kite and Morris Lukwich. So. They've all got very good stories. They've all got interesting stuff that happened from behind the scenes, um, and they can uh, and they'll answer some questions if, uh, if people have some questions they want to they want to uh, um, tw- you know, tweet them in or or um, I'm not sure if we'll have a call in line, but uh, anyway, there will be a way for people to get questions in there and uh, have them answered. How can uh, people uh, join us tomorrow night at seven o'clock? You can just go to McNally Robinson's website, and they've got a, a link there. And I will put it up on uh, Twitter. Maybe I'll, I'll forward it to you, and maybe you can put it out, and then we could uh, get some people listening in. Absolutely. Nice. be my pleasure to do it, uh, Jeff. This is uh, exciting, and uh, both these books, uh, absolutely great uh, memories for, as as you mentioned, when you get together with fans of that era, uh, it can go from joy to tears and back to joy again, and then uh, almost always ends in tears. But uh, very grateful for the uh, history of the uh, National Hockey League and, of course, the WHA, because here we are back in the National Hockey League, and it's uh, it'll be great to, to talk about these old times with uh, Morris Lukowicz, Jim Kite, and Tong McVie tomorrow night. Let me tell you, Omar, a real quick, real quick funny story. Stand on a funny note. So Peter Tagliadetti played a number of years with the Jets and uh, ended up being, being traded in uh, 1990. He went on to win uh, two Stanley Cups with, um, with Pittsburgh. But he was picked up in an expansion draft in Tampa. So he spent a year in Tampa Bay. And at the end of that time there, Maybe when he was back in Pittsburgh, he got a phone call saying he got a phone call from Vince McMahon from the World Wrestling at the time Federation, and they said, that, "Hey, we're having this big event with all the with athletes from other sports. Would you come on out?" And his his kids are big wrestling fans. Sure, I'll come on out. So what his what the event was was the storyline was that Yokozuna, the 550 pound Japanese sumo wrestler, was trash talking all of um, every American athlete and every American sport. And so all these athletes were invited to come out and, bo- and try to body slam Yokozuna. So Tagliani went out there, brought his three kids. His kids are playing with Tatanka, and, and, and he got um, Tagliani got to do uh, a promo for it on TV. So he got to channel his inner Randy Macho Man Savage and, and say things like, Tatanka, you've been trash-talking American athletes. We're taking you down, that kind of stuff. 
Anyway, he got invited into the ring, and he went to put his, his arm through to Tonka's legs, and he said he couldn't even get his arm all the way through. And so he, and he tried to lift him, and he thinks that Tonka kind of went up on his tiptoes for him, so he moved him maybe an inch, <laughs> and that was it. And so no matter where Tavianetti goes, he never gets asked about winning two Stanley Cups he gets asked about <laughs> failing to body slam Yokozuna. <laughs> uh, such is life. Yeah. <laughs> Two Stanley Cup rings can't buy you everything. And that's just and and just for clarity, that's one player, right? Because we used yeah. to joke that he was uh, uh, two, three players: Peter, Tagley, and Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> thanks, Jeff. Look forward to tomorrow night. Okay. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.